0: Our message this morning is entitled The Deaf Hear and will be a continuation of our recent study through the miracles of Christ based upon the list of miracles that Jesus gave to inquiring disciples of John the Baptist in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Just to remind you of what we've been discussing and to briefly reflect back, some disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, and also I believe in Luke chapter 7. And as John is arrested and imprisoned, he hears of the works of Jesus, and he sends two of his disciples. And these two disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do see and hear. Then he begins to list off the miracles, the types of miracles that he performed by the Holy Spirit, by his sovereign power, in his personal ministry. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. We've previously studied together the blind receiving their sight, Jesus' sovereign power over blindness, and the variety of ways that he healed people, the variety of ways that people had become blind, that he overcame through his power. We talked about the lame, regardless of whether it was due to a spinal injury or something such as polio, how God would, Christ would simply speak or lay hands on them and they would rise up their withered limbs would be healed and they would be able to walk and to move around again and they were completely healed there was no partial healing but when jesus heals someone they are totally and completely healed and last week together we talked about the lepers being cleansed and how leprosy was such a terrible disease because the people who were afflicted with that had to number one be separated many times from their people but also they were prevented from going into the house of God and worshiping God. That was one of the afflictions that would render you ceremonially unclean. And as you know, there were very many various diverse infirmities that an individual could have that would cause them to be unable to enter into the temple. And we talked about how that is pointing to the perfection that God Desires or requires would be a better word of us to stand in his presence. Any sort of affliction, any sort of sin, we should say, any deficiency renders us unable to stand before God, which points then to the complete perfection of our Savior Jesus in washing us whiter than snow, totally cleansing us of all of our infirmities. Today we come to this next type of miracle. That Jesus performed in Matthew eleven, five, the deaf hear, the deaf hear. The miracle of giving hearing to those who are afflicted with deafness. As with the other types of miracles that we've talked about thus far in our series together, this type of miracle affirms Jesus' identity as the Christ, as the Messiah. We shared with you various prophecies from Isaiah's writings, but in the book of Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. This is prophetic of the Messiah. And then we find in verse 10, The ransomed of the Lord shall return. What is What does it mean to ransom someone? It means to buy them back or to redeem them. And so what we read in Isaiah 35, beginning in verse 3, is a prophecy of the day of Christ. And you'll know that the Messiah has come when he gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and the lame man shall leap as a heart. The lame man shall leap as a heart. And so these miracles that Jesus did, they... Affirmed his identity as the Messiah. But at the same time, these miracles once again displayed Jesus' power over creation. Jesus has complete power. All power is given him in heaven and in earth. He is the God man. He isn't part God, part man, but he's completely God and completely human. He is, as we say, the God man. As we read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 12, the hearing ear. And the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Think about this for just a moment of time. What a miracle it is that we even have the sense of vision and the sense of hearing as a part of our being. Do you ever fathom and think about the ability to see or to hear? Just as we reflect back on this first miracle, Jesus giving sight to the blind Our eyes detect reflected light in this tiny little portion of the electromagnetic spectrum, electromagnetic spectrum that we know as visible light. And we have all sorts of other types of light. You have infrared light. But here we pick up this tiny little spectrum, and our eyes detect that, send the signal to our brain, which interprets that and allows us to see the world around us. That is absolutely mind-boggling when you begin to think about it, and we've taken it for granted each and every day of our lives. You don't have to sit and learn how to see. It's something that is natural to you. Likewise, think about the ability to hear. You have these sound waves bouncing around in the room, and your ears are designed in such a way that they receive that, they interpret that, they send the signal to your brain and you hear and your brain interprets that what you hear and you know, is it brother Ben speaking to me? Is it a hymn being sung? Is it a Tyrannosaurus Rex about to bite me and knock a hole in the building? You know, is it something that I need to run from? Is it something that I need to run towards? Think about the the amazing nature of hearing. We take it for granted every day. As we think about things as complex as sight and hearing, in my mind, and in my understanding, things such as that are some of the greatest blows against, some of the greatest blows dealt to concepts such as evolution. How does an organism begin to detect sound waves around it in the world and develop, just by chance or necessity, the ability to detect those sound waves, and transmit those sounds to your brain, interpret those sounds via electrical impulses, and your brain interprets that and knows exactly what it means. You think about it, our language, our ability to perceive, our ability to sing, and not only to sing, but to sing in such a way that the various frequencies that we sing come together in harmony and produces a beautiful chord. What a marvel is the ability to hear. We look at it in terms of technology and we say, man, there's a microphone on my phone. And some miraculous way it picks up the sounds that are around it and store those sounds to be replayed on the speakers. But far more marvelous than that is the ability that you were born with to hear or to see. What a marvel is it that God has created, invented the seeing eye and the hearing ear. And yet Jesus in his ministry displays his sovereign power over both of those, proving that he is indeed God as he gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Today's lesson also gives us insight into the inability of the natural man to understand and believe the gospel. You see, as we come to the close of our message today, we will transition out of giving natural hearing to giving spiritual ears to hear. To get a little bit ahead of myself, one of Jesus' most famous sayings, he, he preached the Sermon on the Mount twice. We have one record of the parable of the sower But over and over and over in Jesus' ministry, he would issue this simple proverb, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. And he had no reference to physical hearing. And so as we ponder today, God giving the deaf the ability to hear, Christ giving the deaf the ability to hear, think about the greater principle that this is demonstrating If you understand the gospel, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has first given you the ability to hear spiritual things. Let's look at two examples of Jesus giving the ability to hear to one who is deaf. The first of these is in the book of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Now, as we think about deafness in general, there are many ways that a person could become deaf. Some people are born deaf. Some people lose their hearing through a disease. My aunt, who is two and a half years older than I am, was much like a big sister to me as we grew up. We grew up one house apart on our road. We lived on the same road as my grandfather. And with her being two and a half years older than me, I would go and we would play every day of my childhood. And she was and is to me in many ways a big sister. When she was younger, she struggled with fluid in her ears. And though they did surgery to put tubes in her ears, by the time that she had that surgery, she was already deaf in one ear. And her other ear has very little hearing. And so she will have to look at you if she is to converse with you Right on your face and look right at your mouth to be able to understand what you're saying to communicate because she has been deaf for most of her life. My father is not deaf but has damaged hearing because of a life of shooting firearms. They didn't wear hearing protection. He was such a tough guy, such a cowboy that his ears would never be damaged by shooting firearms and so when he was younger he would shrug off the idea of wearing ear protection and now as he is 60 years old lo and behold he has damage to his hearing especially the the side that left side that faced the uh, firearm as he would fire it and I've already begun to notice the damage to my hearing because I play in a swing band and the trumpet is not the quietest of instruments but beside me and most Gigs is a collection of noisemakers known as a drum set. And the more I sit next to the drum set, but Matthew can appreciate this because he's a drummer um, percussionist, the more you're near that, the more it damages your hearing. These are people that had no hearing. People that had no hearing. Their hearing was totally gone. The first of these men was a deaf man who also had a speech impediment. They bring unto him one that was deaf, this is Mark 7.32, and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him, touch him and heal him. Now it's interesting that this man not only is deaf, but he also had an impediment of speech. Which tells me that more than likely you can deduce from that that he was probably either born deaf or suffered deafness at such a young age that he did not learn to speak by hearing the way that words are pronounced. Or he'd been deaf so long that it affected the way that he had spoken. I'm sure we've all known someone who was not only deaf, but also could not speak. And if they did speak, the words didn't sound quite like the typical speech of a person in that area because they simply didn't have that model. Again, going back to the hearing ear and the marvel of that, we sound like we sound because of what we hear. We have a Southern accent because we're born where? In the South, and some of us spend great portions of our life trying to overcome that to one degree or another. If you go back and listen to recordings of me when I was a little boy, I'd walk up to my, my grandmother who had one of these amazing, marvelous devices called a camcorder. You young folks, you have no idea what it was like to live before there were smartphones. You had to put a tape in it and it would reel. And... It was this gigantic device that you would put on your shoulder and you'd put it in the TV in this device that we bought because when I grew up, there was no VCR. But we, we eventually bought that. And, you know, Our first home footage is of a brontosaurus. Uh, but, you know, make you feel old. Some of you are like, look, I remember life before electricity. We rode to church on the back of a mule. Anyway, there's always somebody older in the room, unless you're the oldest, in which case, bless your heart. But if you listen to recordings of, of yourself, or especially at a young age, the, the southern drawl is just like, wow, where did you pick that up? You learned it because you listen to the people that you listen to. After the mainstream cable news media became something that we all watched, have you noticed that everyone's accent has diminished a little bit and we all sound similar regardless of what part of the country that we're born in? We sound like what we hear. This man hadn't grown up hearing, and so his words didn't sound like, if he could even say words at all, they didn't sound like what everyone else sounded like. He had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand on him. Now, he takes this man aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears, and he spit. And he touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven. And then he sighed. And he saith unto him, Epphatha, that is, be opened. As we look at the unusual and fascinating way that Jesus healed this man, it's important to point out that as with leprosy, as with blindness, He heals people differently just about every time. And so sometimes he might lay hands on someone. Sometimes he might put his spittle on his eyes and on his fingers and make clay and touch the clay to his eyes. Sometimes he may lay hands on a leper. Sometimes he may speak to the leper. In this case, Jesus touches his ears, spits, touches the man's tongue... (laughs) kind of get the impression that it it almost looks like when you go to the doctor and they're looking in your ear and they're looking in your mouth and say, ah, and then he sighs. By what, what that means, I couldn't even begin to tell you. One thing that's common, however, in all of these miracles that Jesus did is his speech. He speaks and it happens. It should be pointed out that the active power that God utilizes That Christ utilizes in acts of creation, in acts of salvation, in acts of resurrection, and in acts of miracles is his voice. In the beginning of time, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light that it was good. Let the earth bring forth, and the earth brought forth. Interestingly enough, the only thing that God didn't speak into existence in creation was what? Man. He formed man from the dust of the ground. Everything else he created by speaking. He speaks and the sea is calmed. Peace be still. He speaks and Lazarus come forth. In the new birth, he speaks to our dead souls and we come to spiritual life. The common denominator in all of the miracles of Christ is his speech. Sometimes, as we noted uh, last week, not only or the week before would Jesus speak, be healed, but sometimes he would also attach something else to that, thy sins be forgiven thee. Thy sins be forgiven thee. As an assurance to those that are healed that if he has the power to give sight to the blind, deaf to the hearing, to make the lame walk, he also has the power to what? To forgive sin. Praise God. He has the power to forgive sin. And to borrow language from Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who could be against us? Straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue, that's a figure of speech for a speech impediment, the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man Listen to this, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. In other words, it was the exact opposite effect of what he wanted. He says, don't tell anybody. And the more he said, don't tell anybody, they went and told everybody. I don't know if it's just human rebelliousness or they were that excited about it, but they were beyond measure. Now listen to this, saying, he hath done all things well. He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. They know Isaiah 35. They know what this meant. And so they look at Jesus and the works of Jesus and they say, He hath done all things well. This is the Messiah. And indeed, praise God, He hath done all things well. Let's notice a point from this. When God moves in our lives, whether it be by providence or by direct miracle, whatever we see, when God acts in our lives, it ought to result in worship in the eye of the beholder. When God acts, what we should break into is doxology, that is to say worship. We should worship God when we see his acts in the earth Our psalm this morning was a psalm of thanksgiving. It was Psalm 100. I know two brothers in Christ that are actually preaching on that very psalm right now as we discussed the Word of God this week, as we talked about our sermons and shared our messages with one another. That's a psalm of thanksgiving. What is it that we just experienced earlier this week? The holiday that we know as thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving to be? Well, it's a day where we experience gluttony and Lay around and be lazy and then go fight each other over TVs on Black Friday. No. Thanksgiving is a day when we are to feast in thanksgiving to God. What is that? That is an act of national worship. That was not a worship service according to the regulative principles in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that. But worship is something that doesn't just take place here as a church. There is public worship, but there is also family worship. And private worship. And what we experienced this past Thursday. Is to be an act of worship. We worship him. We should cry out. As we see what he has blessed us with in our life. And when that food is spread across that table. Understand if there was food on that table. God has blessed you. And we ought to cry out. He hath done all things well. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. And with singing. As we read in our. Scripture reading from Psalm 100. He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Another account of Jesus healing the deaf, though this was included in a whole list of infirmities, is found a couple of chapters over in Mark chapter 9. In Mark 9, you find the account of Jesus casting out an evil spirit from a boy who was deaf among many other afflictions. Mark 9, 17, One of the multitude answered and said, Master, speaking to Christ, I have brought unto thee my Son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now he has a dumb spirit, and that means that he's unable to speak. Young folks, the word dumb here doesn't mean what we take it to mean today, which is a person of little intelligence. It means to not be able to speak. So just to be very clear and define our terms, to be dumb in the Bible means that you cannot talk. This person is a mute. He's unable to speak. Tempted to make the joke, there's a lot of dumb people who do a whole lot of speaking. That's not what that means here. That's not what that means here. To be dumb means to be mute. One of the multitude, Master, I've brought my son unto thee, which hath a dumb spirit, can't speak. And wheresoever he taketh him, he, the evil spirit, teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples, that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now this point in the disciples' ministry is reference to the apostles here, and as Jesus goes about ministering and preaching, these disciples go about also ministering, and he gave them authority over evil spirits to cast out evil spirits wherever they found them. Though they could perform these miracles here, later, after Jesus' ascension up to glory, after his resurrection, after the crucifixion, these apostles were given the ability to do exceeding abundantly even more than they had in Jesus' ministry. And their understanding was open. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them so that they spoke with languages they never learned. They cast out devils. And if their shadow would so much as pass by someone who was ill, when the shadow passed by them, that person would be healed from that. It was a time of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, unlike any time before that and unlike any time since that. In so much that if people were to take a handkerchief to Paul and then take the handkerchief back to the person that was ill, when the handkerchief would be in their possession, they would be healed from whatever it was that was afflicting them. What what an amazing time that was. And God calls that to be so that anyone and everyone who saw that work and heard that gospel would know that what was being preached to them, though it was new, was indeed the truth. Why do we not have those gifts in today's time? Because we have the completed word of God. The church has been established firmly in the world as the apostles who went around founding these churches, passed off the scene, and Christianity was strong and established. These gifts departed off the scene as well. These were the gifts and the signs of an apostle. And when they departed, these gifts tapered out of the world. And you find that very clearly depicted in church history. This man brings his son to the apostles. And notice the variety of affliction that this young man struggled with. First of all, he was dumb. He was unable to speak. But the next thing that we read is that this evil spirit teareth him. And it means what it means today, to rip. If you tear a garment, what do you do? You rip the garment. So you get the imagery here that this evil spirit would rip the man, perhaps he would with his fingernails dig into his flesh, perhaps he would fall on the ground and would be scratched up and clawed up by himself and by the ground underneath him. He would also foam, he foameth, and what that means is that he would foam at the mouth. He would begin to foam at his mouth. Now this is a, both of these are familiar to us if you were here on Wednesday nights as we went through the Gospel of Mark together. It's been some months that we studied this lesson together. But much of this should be familiar to you. He foams at the mouth. He gnashed. What does it mean to gnash? It means to grit the teeth. When Christ spoke about the judgment that was coming upon the nation of Israel, he would often describe them and also the judgment that is coming in hell. He would describe that as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does it mean to gnash with the teeth? It means to grit the teeth. And so this young man would grit the teeth as he would have his spells, as this evil spirit would give him episodes of this affliction. And he pineth away. This means to afflict or to torture. So this man is literally being tortured by an evil spirit. If you notice there, it doesn't say anything about deafness. Later on, when Jesus heals this young man, when he speaks to this evil spirit, he says, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Telling us that while the dad describes him in this way, he was also afflicted with deafness. And so Jesus speaks this time the evil spirit is cast out of the young man the boy and he can hear he can speak he no longer is afflicted with this now this looks an awful lot like what we know today as epilepsy doesn't it he falls on the ground he begins to have seizures that's what this this tearing is he's having seizures he's foaming at the mouth he's gritting his teeth In that day, they would often refer to someone who struggled with something like this as a lunatic. And the root word for lunatic is luna, which is the word for the moon. They believed, now the Bible doesn't say this, but they believed, ancient man believed, that there was some sort of a correlation between the moon, looking at the moon, the presence of the moon, and certain afflictions such as epilepsy. And so they would refer to someone who struggled with that as a lunatic. I'm sure we've all heard that word. It might have been even used as an insult uh, in in your life. But they incorrectly associated the full moon with some of these afflictions. Do we have any mythology and folklore in our world today that would be associated with the full moon? What is it that we see commonly depicted in science fiction that makes its... They view each and every month at the full moon. It's a werewolf. Why would they associate it with that? Well, that's just what ancient man did. They would associate certain things with the fullness of the moon. My father, as a, a lifelong police officer, a retired police officer, I should say, uh, will swear to you that people get more crazy when the moon is full. And and some of you work in medical care, and and I see some nodding of heads. Yeah, that's true. There's something to that. What is that? We have no idea. But when the moon gets full, you, you do have some unusual things happen in the behavior of people. That's why they would refer to people as lunatics, because the moon would be full. And they correlated it with that. Now, regardless, this boy's issue was brought about by what? Evil spirit. His issues were brought about by an evil spirit. What does that tell you? Sometimes physical infirmities have a spiritual cause. This man suffered a physical infirmity, whether it be what we would refer to as as epilepsy, or if he's literally just struggling from the spirit and it looks like that disease, sometimes physical afflictions have a spiritual cause. Sometimes Satan... Afflicts people with diseases and illnesses to persecute them. Namely, God's children. What is the entire book of Job about? A man who was faithful and Satan afflicting him as a challenge to God. There was a warfare going on that Job never knew about between God and Satan. Oh, does Job fear thee for naught? And God says, I'll take away the hedge. Do what you will to him with restrictions. And before it's over, he has nothing except his life and his wife who tells him to curse God and die. He has no health. He has lost his children. He's lost his finances. And the three friends that he had show up and accuse him of doing something wrong to bring all of it on himself. Well, you've sinned secretly, Job. Surely you've brought this on yourself. And Job had done nothing he'd not sinned to cause that to be. Satan was afflicting him. Sometimes physical afflictions have a demonic spiritual cause. Now how do you know if that's the cause? You don't know that's the cause. You don't know if it's chastening. You don't know if it's Satan. You don't know if it's simply the afflictions that are common to man. One thing you do know... The reaction to all of that is the same. To humble yourself in the sight of Almighty God, to pray to Him and to seek His face. Whether it be, one example, David after he sins with Bathsheba and the child dies that was conceived in that sin. What does David do? He throws himself down in what? Sackcloth and ashes. What did Job do when he was afflicted simply because Satan challenges God? He threw himself down in sackcloth and ashes. Regardless of the cause, our reaction to that is the same. We are to humble ourselves before God in sackcloth and ashes. But this young man is suffering because of demonic affliction in his life. When Jesus hears, let's look at the last phrase of verse 18. I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Your disciples had no power over him. Now that's interesting. Hold on to that statement. Jesus answers and saith, oh, "O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me." Jesus what uh, his reply was to rebuke the disciples for their lack of faith. They brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming. The spirit, when it sees Jesus, begins to panic. What happens every time an evil spirit, a demon, a devil, is in the presence of Christ? They believe and they tremble. They believe and they tremble. Understand, the devil is not an atheist. The devils are not agnostic. They believe and they tremble. They believe and they tremble. They know exactly who their creator, who their God, and who their Lord is. They live in rebellion to him. Don't think for a moment when Jesus comes back, there's going to be some battle between good and evil in which you have to worry if good is going to win. And the second coming revelation depicts Jesus riding in on a white horse with His armies behind Him because He wages war against unrighteousness single-handedly with the sword of His Word, a double-edged sword coming out of His mouth. All He needs to do but is, is but to speak, and His enemies are vanquished. He simply speaks. This devil begins to have a fit in this young man. How long has it been since this came unto him? Jesus answers. And he said, of a child, this means that he had always suffered from this affliction. And oft times it cast him into the fire and it cast him into the waters to destroy him. We noted recently that demonic attack is destructive. What Satan desires of you is to destroy you. Now keep that in mind, young people, In our culture today, there is an infatuation with the darkness of this world. And you see the the tattoos of skulls and an infatuation with death and horror and destruction. Keep that in mind. What is the root of that? Well, it certainly isn't light. When you feel yourself drawn to darkness, remember that all the darkness wants to do is destroy you. This demon... This devil, this spirit, it's trying to kill the young man. Cast him into the fire. This boy probably had burned scars on his body for being cast into the fire. This is an affliction. It cast him into the water to destroy him. But listen to what this man says. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If thou canst do anything? What was the depiction of faith that we recently heard in this series? Not if you can, but you can if you will. Faith says you can if you will. This man says if you can. Notice how Jesus trades him an if- For and if. What does Jesus say? If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. This man comes to Jesus with the wrong question. If you can, Jesus says, well, if you can believe. You see, he answers that with the like statement. If you can do it, well, if you can believe. He trades an if for an if. The man, and you can't blame him, he's heard of the disciples, he's heard of Jesus, he brings his son, the disciples are not able to help him. No one else has been able to help him, and Lord, if you could do anything about it, have compassion on me, have mercy on me. We could be cruel to the man and beat up on his unbelief, but do you see yourself responding any differently than that man has responded Oh, there's so many times in my life I've been exactly where that man is. How do you know that? Because I want you to hear what he says in reply to Jesus. Jesus says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Straightway the father of the cri- child cried out and said with tears. He bursts into tears. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. We are living contradictions of faith and unbelief, spirit and flesh, Christ and Adam. At every moment of our life, we have the Spirit of God in us after the new birth, crying, Abba, Father. But on the other hand, we have the nature of Adam, which is epitomized by unbelief. Rebellion and rejection of God. And these two natures war in our hearts and in our minds at all times, so much so that in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul himself said, Even when I would do good, evil is present with me. We never escape the nature of the flesh. We always struggle with the flesh. In our finest moments in righteousness, there in our hearts is some degree of sin. Did anyone see me do that? Will anyone give me the credit for that? Well, I'm enjoying this sermon. God's really blessing me to preach it and it's great. I'm the one that gets to stand up and do this. Now, even in the best moments in a man's life, in Christ, is there this nagging, gnawing sin Because we are but flesh. We are but flesh. This man, he he cries out, this man, with tears. He breaks down and he sobs in the presence of Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What a prayer is that? It's one that ought to be said by us every single day of our lives. Understand that. Unbelief is the sin which doth so easily beset us all. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. You might point out that Hebrews 11 is given a cloud of witnesses, one normal human being after another who overcame, who achieved victory through Christ by faith that we would cast aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us and run our race with patience. We look at the Victories of our brothers and sisters by faith and it strengthens our faith. We lay aside that unbelief and we say, God, here I am, I believe. This man begs God to, to help his unbelief. Now, I love the compassion of Christ here. He doesn't say, no, no, you're not perfect. No, your faith, it still needs to grow. He doesn't. Criticize the man any further. He doesn't condemn the man. The man confesses his sin to Jesus. Jesus sees the people running together. He rebuked the foul spirit. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee come out of him and enter into him no more. The spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. He absolutely collapses. He lay there totally still on the ground. You might think, well, what does that have to do with being healed? If the man had struggled with something similar to epilepsy caused by the devil to lay totally still after a life of struggling with seizures, what an amazing thing is that! He lay totally still. Insomuch that many said, He is dead. Well, this Jesus has killed him. He cast out the devil and he wouldn't kill him. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. He heals this young boy, this young man. Now the disciples would ask him in verse 28, and we'll make this point before going to our final point for today. When he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, And you and I would do the same thing. If you're the preachers, if you're the people that Jesus sends out to do these miracles and to work in this way, and you tried and you failed. Okay, Lord, what went wrong? What went wrong? Let's learn from this. Lord, why could we not cast this devil out? Why did this not work? Jesus replies in verse 29 of Mark 9. He said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There are two general interpretations of Jesus' answer, two understandings of his answer. The first way to understand this is that this devil was so powerful that unless the disciples engaged in a prolonged period of prayer and fasting, they would not have the ability to cast this devil out of the boy. And that's basically the majority view that you hear preached and that you read in commentaries and study Bibles and resources such as that. However, the Puritan commentator John Trapp notes that their failure to cast out this devil was not because of the strength of the devil, but because of what? Their unbelief. Back up to Jesus' rebuke of them. O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? They could not cast out this devil, not by reason of the strength of the devil, but by reason of their own weakness of faith. What is a cure for unbelief? Devoting yourself to fasting and prayer. If you find yourself in a season of damaged faith, rather than indulging the doubt, spend a season in fasting and prayer. You see, I thought fasting was an Old Testament practice. Well, the apostles fasted in the book of Acts. That's not the Old Testament. They fasted in the book of Acts. When they selected new officers in the church, they fasted. When they ordained people, they fasted. When they needed answers to things, they fasted. Fasting is a part of the New Testament church. In our own church history, you can read in Hassel's history of the Church of God, where when their association in North Carolina, the Kahuki Association, was experiencing periods of... Spiritual drought and decline when they were not baptizing people, when they were not adding churches to their organization, to their association, they would set aside an association wide period of fasting and prayer when the churches would fast and pray. And he notes in his history that every single time they did that, God would open up a door of blessing. They would constitute new churches. Disciples would be baptized, people would profess Christ, and would unite with the church, and the church would grow in the world. Have we grown as much as we would like to grow here at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church? Maybe we need to call a fast. Maybe we need to call a day of fasting and prayer. Especially in light of thanksgiving. Seems like we do a whole lot of feasting and not a lot of fasting. This kind comes not out but by fasting and prayer. Your faith is not strong enough to cast out this devil. Strengthen your faith by fasting and prayer. We can then strengthen our faith. We can strengthen our faith. We can work at our faith and we can build it up by studying fasting, praying, and by experience. Lastly today, I want to notice the spiritual parallel with giving hearing to the deaf. As we already said, one of the most common sayings in Jesus' ministry is, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And there are several variations of this. You have he that hath an ear, you have He that hath ears to hear. And you can take a concordance and you can look up the word ear and ears and hear. And you can find any number of variations of this in Jesus' ministry. There were times that Jesus would say that after giving parables. And this is a tangent that we could spend an entire message on. But there were times that Jesus gave parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not hear. He would conceal spiritual truths in his parables that the church would understand, but the nation of Israel around the church would not understand. And as he would give those parables, he would say that seeing you might not see and hearing you might not hear. And in those moments, he would often say, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. If you have the ability to hear, then hear. In fact, in Matthew 11, what is the root passage for our study through the miracles of Jesus? Matthew eleven five: The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. After that, Jesus begins teaching about John the Baptist, how great he was, and he ends this paragraph in verse 15 with what statement? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus would even utter these words in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as he would speak recorded by John's pen to the seven churches of Asia as he would write he would send word through writing, his speech through writing, he that hath an ear, let him hear. What does that tell us? It's a proverb. It's a simple statement. It's something that we can remember. It can burn into your brain. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Unless you have physical hearing, you cannot hear the world around you. Right? Simple. Everybody can understand that. Unless you have functioning ears, You cannot hear my speech, you cannot hear music, you cannot hear the birds chirping, the wind blowing through the trees. Unless you have physical hearing, you cannot hear. But is Jesus giving a lesson about physical hearing the many times he uttered that statement? No, he's not. He's teaching a lesson about spiritual hearing. Unless you have spiritual ears to hear, you cannot hear. What does that mean? In the new birth, Jesus gives us the ability to hear and believe his gospel. This is why, according to 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Why? Because he lacks the ear to hear. In 1 Corinthians, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Regeneration precedes faith. And with regeneration comes the ear to hear. What is the ear to hear? After all of the new birth, you you don't get a third ear planted right up on the center of your forehead, right? It'd be pretty easy to identify your brothers and sisters in Christ, wouldn't it? According to the book of Galatians, he refers to the hearing of faith. Faith wrought in the new birth is the spiritual ear to hear and the spiritual eye to see Christ. Faith is the ear to hear. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. How do you understand it? By faith. Where would you get faith? Hebrews 12.2. It is authored and finished in you by Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. The same faith that causes us to triumph and overcome and achieve victories that we live by that coexists in our very being beside the putrid unbelief that we inherited from Adam, the faith that Christ has wrought. In the new birth, God gives the ability to spiritually hear his gospel. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. I'll give you one example of this from the book of John chapter 8. You find this working itself out so many times in Jesus' public ministry. In John 8, Jesus is in a conversation with a mixed multitude of people. They're all Jewish. And as he speaks to them, there are people there who believe, but are not yet his disciples. There are his disciples, and there are people who absolutely reject him. So, as with any public preaching ministry, you have three types of people there. You have the preacher and those with him, the disciples, the people who believe, who have not yet committed and become disciples, and you have the people who absolutely reject him, as we'll see in a moment, because they are of their father, the devil. They don't have the ears to hear. As he preaches to them, he would speak to to every group in the crowd. And he speaks about the fact that if they were really Abraham's seed, they would... Rejoice in him. And they begin to say, You know, we're Abraham's seed. We're not born of fornication. They were accusing his mother of sin. How dare they? Jesus cuts to the quick. Let's look at verse 42. If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth. And came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Were they hearing the audible words that were coming out of his mouth? Yes, they were. But they didn't understand it because they couldn't hear it. How? They were not born again. How do you know that? Look at verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil... And the lusts of your father ye you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. These were not children of God. They were of that wicked one. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. They lacked the ears to hear because they were not of God. I want you to understand as we close our message today that every single one of you has received the miracle of giving hearing to the deaf. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, we close with this. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What a great blessing is it to have ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to rejoice in it.